All right, let me invite our kids to head back to be with our team in Transformation Station this morning. Have a great time down there. I, I hope, let me uh, just say, I hope uh, those of you that were able to, to join us last Sunday for our Serve Memphis Sunday, I hope you loved that. We've heard a lot of great feedback on uh, just the, the flow of the morning and the short worship service after the, the coffee bar. And, and then uh, we split up in groups. For those of you that, that are new or, or didn't hear, we split up in uh, three or four different groups to uh, serve the city in a variety of ways. So it was a, it was a great Sunday, and uh, we want that just to be the, the reality of our church week in and week out. We're a church that doesn't exist for ourselves. We exist for the mission of God to go forward, and, and uh, particularly here in this city. Uh, so thank you for your participation in that. Um, I want to pray uh, to lead us into our time. I'll do this every Sunday, right, to kind of kick off the sermon. But uh, just as a good reminder, uh, every time we open the Bible, it is an opportunity to hear from God, right? Not, not because I'm up here. Uh, I'm, only, I'm only good as I'm faithful to what God has said in his word. So I think it's good to be reminded of the weightiness of that and to uh, ask God to speak to us today as we uh, hear from him in his words. So let's, let's pray together. Father, would you uh, work today? Lord, you've been so gracious to, to come to us, to reveal yourself to us. And the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word of God. And Lord, you've been so gracious to reveal yourself to us in the written Word of God that we have here in the pages of Scripture. So Father, it's, it's our prayer that we would remember that the unfolding of your words gives light. That your Word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our, our path. And that your word gives us life, that your word comforts us in our afflictions. God, that your word has the power to renovate our lives and restore us in the ways that we need to be restored. Because God, we recognize we're all broken people here. There's no one perfect in the room, certainly not me. And so Lord, would you speak to us now. And may you give us the grace to not only listen, but to respond as you lead us, as you kind of pull our hearts toward you today. God, help us to move forward in a way that will bring you honor and that will give us much delight and joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, those are, those are not my words. Those words belong to Jesus. And so just from the outset today, I want to ask you the question, what troubles you? What keeps you up at night? What concerns distract you and weigh you down? What causes your stress levels to begin to boil? In this life, you will have trouble. The skies are not always blue, right? I mean, this is, yeah, we go outside today, it's not very, but I mean, in, in our life, this, the skies are not always blue, the, the clouds of, of fear and anxiety and doubt and trouble 
seem to find their way into our atmosphere more than we would like. And so could, could someone just say today, like, yo, Pastor T, like, I have some troubles here today. Like, could anybody say that with me? Just like, got some troubles? Anybody can identify with that? Thank you. If you, if you can't say that, you're lying, which means you have trouble, and you should be in trouble for lying, okay? So we, we, we all have trouble. We can, we can think about it in a myriad of ways from from just the, the stresses of life that come at different angles. We, we have financial uh, troubles, right? Anxieties over how we're going to pay the bills, how we're going to afford the crazy housing costs around here. Uh, will we be able to, to earn enough in our respective jobs to ever be able to put enough away for kind of the end of life? We have relationship troubles, Troubles with friends, troubles uh, with our spouse, perhaps. And, and even, if, even if, like, you might say, well, my friendships are great, my, my marriage is great, my relationship with my children are great, like, you know, in a kind of weird way, sometimes we can begin to worry, like, well, then will this continue? <laughs> will this stay the way that I want it to be? If you're like me, you have trouble as it relates to your workplace. Now, now let me be clear, right? I'm a pastor of Redemption Hill, and here I am with Redemption Hill. So I'm not, work, work relationships, staff relationships are great. I love my job. This is what I want to do indefinitely, okay? But, but I, I love to see God move, right? I love to see progress. I love to see this 2020 vision that we talked about at the beginning of the year, how we want to see God move in our city and move through us. Like, that's, that's what keeps me up at night, so as I'm thinking about where we're going as a church, sometimes those concerns can begin to weigh me down in an unhealthy manner that even as I'm serving God, I'm not really trusting God with everything that he's entrusted to me. So I start to worry about it, even just like the task list. Anybody have a task manager and you have like 20 things to do today and I know I only have time for 10 and even with those 10, I'm kind of, you know, in, in angst on like just working instead of resting and, and enjoying what I'm doing. We all have vulnerabilities in our lives. We all have areas that create worry and doubt and fear and trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But, but here's just a side note for you. I want you to consider this, okay? God is not pumped up about our troubles, in fact, God made a world that was free from trouble. And so in all of our troubles, we have to understand that like, that's, like, God is not excited about that. That is not part of God's original design. And yet, here is just a, something that we should consider, as a good friend reminded me this week, a very wise friend, that God uses our troubles to humble us and point us to him. And so whether, whether we're willing to admit it or not, which would be, you know, further evidence of the reality, um, we are proud people, and sometimes we need to be humbled. And so God, in his kindness and mercy, uses these troubles to humble us, to show us that we don't have it all together, that we're not in control of everything in our lives, and that in reality, we need him. We need his help. We need the help of those around us. 
And so isn't it encouraging that God can use our troubles for our good and he can actually bring us through our troubles. This is the message that we will see in John chapter 14, how that the disciples were facing a lot of trouble. Like you, you may have some troubles going on, okay, but, but there's a really good chance that your troubles pale in comparison to what the disciples were facing, okay? Because in a series of statements that Jesus gave them, they fell on their ears and their hearts like bombshells. They had spent three years with Jesus, walking with him, learning from him, being mentored by him in every area of their lives. And he says, look, I am about to leave you because I'm about to die. So this is happening. These words are happening just before Jesus is about to depart from them. And to add trouble upon trouble, he says, one of you is going to actually lead to that because you're going to betray me and you're going to place me into the hands of envious and bloodthirsty men. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus, uh, one of his closest disciples, Peter, he says, well, Jesus, if, if you're going down, we're going down because we're so troubled uh, by your coming troubles that we'll jump in the trouble with you and we'll go down with you. I will die for you. And die with you. And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter. Before the sun rises tomorrow, you're going to deny me on three separate occasions. In this world, you have trouble. That's why the, the words of John 14, 1, they should like absolutely jolt us. Because it's in this context of this this. Uh, weightiness of the moment that Jesus then says in verse 1 of chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. I mean, how could Jesus say that to these men, let not your hearts be troubled? He's saying that there's something that can happen inside of you that can carry you through these troubles and replace the perplexity in your heart with peace and the turbulence with tranquility. In this world, you will have trouble, but, but Jesus would go on to say in that very same sentence, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the immediate implication of these words, let not your hearts be troubled, is this, that, that for those that know Christ, for those that would receive his help, his peace in times of trouble, we can actually have this reservoir of, of hope that can carry us through the trouble when everyone else is absolutely troubled and anxious around us. God gives us this kind of resource and power to navigate our troubles and to experience his peace. And so John 14 is going to, to show us how Jesus is the way out of trouble. Jesus says, look, if you've got trouble, then I am the answer for your trouble. But to experience that answer, we have to trust him to be our way out of every trouble, 
every single one that you. So I know you were thinking about some of the troubles that you're facing in your life and what's causing you stress and anxiety. And I just want to say, whatever it is, however hopeless you may feel that it is today, Jesus can carry you through that and Jesus can bring you beyond that. And so let me just give you three reasons today why you can trust in Jesus in your trouble. All right? Number one, uh, trust Jesus because he is victorious over all trouble. Jesus is victorious over all trouble. Check out these first three verses. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So, so Jesus immediately says, like, I, I understand that you are really, really troubled right now, but, but here's the solution, okay? You need to trust in God. You also need to trust in me. And what he does, and this is, this is a helpful um, kind of uh, means of grace to someone when they're going through trouble, is to help them lift their eyes beyond their current circumstances, okay? So what he does is he just says, look, fast forward with me even beyond what you see now and even beyond this life and know that there is a better day coming that I am going to see to, that I'm going to bring you to because I love you so much. And so there's no doubt the circumstances of our lives can can cripple us to the point of absolutely consuming our minds and our hearts as we consider the trouble that we're going through. But Jesus just says, look, lift your eyes up and see beyond the current uh, circumstances of today because I want to take you way beyond that. And not only will I take you beyond that, he can say that because he has the power to actually accomplish it. And so I said, Tanner, how, how is that? Like, Jesus says, I'm, 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 going, I'm leaving, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to take you to be, like, how, how, can, how can we really bank on that? And so I think there's this kind of, I know uh, when I used to read this passage as, as a younger man and a younger kid, um, I, I probably had in this kind of, this picture in my mind where we know that Jesus was the son of, of a carpenter from Nazareth, Right? And so we, we kind of get this picture that uh, for the past 2,000 years, Jesus has been on this kind of cosmic building project with his hammer and nails, and he's building rooms that he is preparing for us. But I think if that's really all we have in our mind, then we're missing the, the truer and the deeper reality because Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, and he's going to do that uh, the very next day by dying for us on a Roman cross, and then three days later, rising from the dead. So this is how he's going to accomplish this this vision of of taking care of us beyond our troubles. And and if, if Jesus can do that and prepare a place through his death by conquering death, I think he would look at us and say, like, what do you have to worry about? If death can't stop you, then then how can these troubles cripple you in, in these moments? So, so, so when, when you're going through it, and we, we, we've all been there, if you're not there now, uh, there's, there's probably a time 
coming when, when you're going to need to really remember these words. And, and the answer, listen to this, the answer for, for really anything in our lives is the cross of Christ. I mean, it's what Paul's like, I resolve to know nothing among you. I'm not trying to be the most eloquent speaker. I'm just saying like Jesus and him crucified. That's all I need to know. And that's all you need to know. And why is that? Because the cross is, is the epicenter of, of God's story and the revelation of who God is. And so if, if God, like Paul says it this way in Romans 8.32, if God did not spare his own son, meaning he sent Jesus to be our sacrifice on the cross, if, if, he would, if he wouldn't spare his own son, but he graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? In other words, God is not holding back from us. If he would prepare a place for us through his death and resurrection, then, then, then what do we have to fear? But also implied in this, this, these words of, I'm going to prepare a place for you, is that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended to his Father, where now the, the Bible tells us he reigns over all things. He is absolutely sovereign. He is in control of all things. Some of his very last words to his followers were, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, so if we're connected to the one that has that kind of power, what do we have to fear? But then not only does he die and rise and ascend, but he says, look, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, and I'm coming back for you. And, and what is the purpose in this, okay? He says, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, and don't miss these words, and will take you to myself. Um, it's, the Greek is idiomatic. It can mean to, to bring you home, to bring you home with me. And so the, this, this, these, these words paint, paint a picture of a story that that. Jesus promises to reunite with his people. There will be a reunion of literally epic, cosmically epic proportions. When we will be, like, we will be with Jesus. Like, our eyes are on his eyes. It's amazing. The very definition of heaven is, is being with Jesus. What makes heaven heaven is, is Jesus being with him. I was actually reminded of this in a, in a very uh, surprising way uh, yesterday at 8.30 a.m. Right Now, just, just track with me here, okay? So uh, I'm hanging out with my girls, you know, it's Saturday morning, which means it's, it's, it's family, family day, just re- relaxing. And, um, and so we're just hanging out, and I'm walking through the living room, and uh, I hear this, like, faint knock on the door. I was like, man, it's like, is someone, is someone dropping by at 8.30? Like, is someone coming unannounced to, so like, what, like, did Marsha order something that I don't know about, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm just, I, I go and I open up the foyer uh, door in our living room that there's, like, you know, three feet and you've been on my house, you understand. Um, then, then to the front door, and our front door has these, these windows, so you can kind of usually see the, the top of a person's head. So I see the storm door open outside, and there is this bald head of a delivery man that looks strangely familiar to me. 
And so I, I kind of inch up on my tiptoes, and I see that the delivery man has this strange smile on his face from ear to ear. It's because the delivery man was my dad, who had driven 17 hours through the night to spend some time with his family. Pretty cool surprise. He's here on the fourth row today. And, and so this, this surprise reunion is, is just a little taste, right? Like, look, I love, I, love, I love spending time with my dad because I love my dad. It's not like, now I know he really came for the Parker, Kesson, and Jordan, um, but, 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 but it's not like, I'm not worried about like what we're going to do or did he bring us anything or like does he have a gift for me or like, I just, I just love my dad. I love spending time with him. And this is what makes heaven heaven is, is, is Christ. It's, it's the relationship that we uh, have with him. And so a lot of times I think we can get this kind of a faulty view of heaven and eventually the new heavens and the new earth that just is like, well, heaven is whatever we want it to be, which basically means it's like this Disney world for adults, for free, for eternity. Right? Like, if you love to golf, man, there's not like 18 whole courses. I mean, there's like 180 whole courses. We can just go out and play golf, and we can eat the finest food that we all love, and, you know, and so, so yes, like, heaven will, will be beyond our, our wildest dreams. The new heavens and the new earth that God will bring in the very end will be beyond our wildest dreams, but, 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 but what happens with our thoughts of heaven oftentimes is we, they, they actually become very uh, us-centered rather than God-centered, and we miss that God is the greatest gift of heaven. And consequently, we miss that what makes heaven heaven is that the, the, the full glory of God is on full display. So Jonathan Edwards would say it like this, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. I mean, that is a radical statement. Can I just say that again? The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. I mean, we're all looking for happiness and satisfaction deep down, and and Edward is saying it's the enjoyment of God. And then he unpacks it about these thoughts of heaven. Here we go. Uh, To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, God is the ocean. Whatever we can experience, and this is what Ever's saying, right? Whatever we experience in this life that thrills us, that brings us joy, that moves us to delight, that puts a smile on our face, he's saying these are but the faintest whispers of what we will experience for all eternity. Because God is there, not because we're there. Now, I hope, and I've been praying, that that would move your heart this morning, and that would thrill you. But if, if that's not enough, 
Here's how the story continues. Not only do we have the enjoyment of God for all eternity that brings us true joy and satisfaction in its fullest measure, but this enjoyment will increase for all eternity. Wrap your mind around that. It's not like you, you enter the pearly gates and you get your full amount of joy, and then you're just like, there I go. It's not going to get any better than this. Like, it's going to get better forever. So Sam Storms uh, says it this way. um, There will never come a time in heaven when we will know all that can be known or seen or feel or experience or enjoy all that can be enjoyed. We will never plumb the depths of gratification in God, nor reach its end. Our satisfaction and delight and joy in him are subject to incessant increase. When it comes to heavenly euphoria, words such as termination and cessation and expiration and finality are utterly inappropriate and inapplicable. You say, well, well, Tanner, how is that? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not like hating because it's, it's taken me a long time to get here, but I'm just going to say something very blunt. Like, if we don't understand that, it's just because we don't understand enough about who God is. And that's, that's my job. That's why I'm here this morning, to like help us and remind myself how, how awesome and great and glorious and perfect God is because God is infinite, So, so like, with God, you never reach the bottom. He's that that deep. Like, he he just keeps getting better. The enjoyment and the delight and the euphoria and the bliss and the, it just... It just keeps coming like a wave after successive wave after successive wave. And that's how it's going to be for all eternity. And so if that strikes a chord in your heart, then perhaps, my friend, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Like if, if you know Christ, then, then that is for you. But if you, you are yet to kind of step over that line and say, I'm like, I'm all in with Jesus, but that sounds really good, and I'd like to experience that, I'd like to get in on that, then I'm just saying, like, Jesus is saying, like, here we go. Come, come on in. And, and this is how, which, which leads us to our second encouragement on trust. Because even for the disciples here, even for those that have been following him for three years, they're, they're having these questions like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You just told us that you're leaving. We don't understand all that that means, and we don't know where you're going. And so it starts in verse 4, and, and Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas, one of the, the closest followers in, in the kind of 12 disciples says this, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This question Is there life after death? Is there something more? 
what is the trajectory of our lives? Like, where does the journey end? And is death really the end? Or is there something beyond death? Is there life beyond death? Is there something more, something better beyond what seems to be the end of the road? And Jesus is saying there is something more and you can have that more through me. But clearly he's saying you can't have that more. You can't have that life beyond, that better life than what we've experienced in this troubled world. You can't have the untroubled world unless you experience it through me. And, and why is that? It's because... We all want to be the way. So just follow me here. We, we all, in our folly, we all try to make our own way. I mean, in, in short, it was like, I got this. We don't really, like, we really, it's hard for us to, like, anyone ever, like, find it hard to ask for help? I got this in our pride, like I can do this, I, I, I can figure this out. And so this is, this is exactly what we've done with God. God has a way, he, has a, he, he, he had a way that he wanted us to experience life in perfect relationship and harmony with him and with one another and with his creation. And rather than following his Wisdom, we said, God, I've got this. I'm going to follow my own wisdom, which means we're following our own way. So, so for anyone that's currently not connected to God through Christ, it's because they've chosen to go their own way. This is what uh, was prophesied 700 years before Jesus was even born in the book of Isaiah in, in chapter 53, verse 6, when it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, so that, that choosing of our own way, that going astray, separates us from God, which is, track with me here logically, if, hev- if, if what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God, then what makes hell, hell is the absence of God. Because God is holy and perfect and also just, sin cannot dwell with him. And so we've, we've gone our own way in, in, our, in our rebellion against God. And yet, God in his grace and mercy rather than leaving us to go our own way, since Jesus, who is the way, to bring us back home. So that if we would turn to him and trust in him and receive the gift of what he did for us, living the life we should have lived, dying the death that we should have died, rising again to life that we might have that kind of life through him, then we can be brought back. Because Jesus is the way. These words in verse 6, um, they're, they're, they're some of the most pivotal words in the Scriptures. 
This is the sixth, by the way, if you're keeping score, this is the sixth of seven I am statements. Like, you remember, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, the, the earliest, check this out, okay? And this, this one's convicting me right now. Like, the earliest Christians were known to belong to this, what others viewed as a sect at the time, they, they called it the way. So it wasn't like, you know, church that's meeting in Jerusalem, like the Jerusalem church or whatever. It's like they were just known as the way. And I wonder if anyone would ever come to the conclusion that the people of Redemption Hill could be called the way because we're so frequently saying Jesus is the way. You can say that in other ways. You can, you can say Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is, is, is the path back to God. Jesus is the way. All saying the same things, Jesus is the connecting point for us to have the life that we always dreamed of and wanted. So, so do we believe that deeply enough? Like, are we experiencing that um, so deeply that we would just naturally say, like, look, there's nothing special about me. I'm a mess, and I have all kinds of anxiety and trouble and worry and doubt and fear, but, but Jesus is my way through that and beyond that, and so much more. Jesus is our way to peace. Jesus is our way to wisdom. Jesus is our way to rest. Jesus is our way to power. He's our way to healing every hurt. He is the way to having all of the guilt erased in our conscience before God and before others. Jesus is the way to unbroken friendship with God. He is the way to fulfillment in every sphere of life. And as we've already discussed, but worthy of repetition, Jesus is the way to everlasting, increasing joy. He's the way. God, help that to move our souls today. Like, excite us. Compel us to enjoy life. There's nothing boring here, you know what I'm saying? Like, if we're experiencing that, then we have it all. We have it all. Because Jesus is the way. Now, let me just briefly um, say that um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I think this is uh, like a progression of building that Jesus is the way because he is the truth. He is the revelation of God to us so that we can experience God again. And Jesus is the way because he is the life. He alone is the giver of life. He is the one that can restore our lives now and give us abundant life every single day and eternal life forever. Jesus is the way. And, and I know these words kind of fall on our ears in a culture that would say that sounds really exclusive and intolerant and, quite frankly, unloving to say that Jesus is the way, but these other ways are not the way. Even though it doesn't, to me, make a lot of sense that they could all be right. So just a few thoughts on that as we ask the question, is one way to God too exclusive? I have three thoughts, and, and they all sound really familiar and similar. Um, number one, consider the source. 
all right? So I think, I think um, a lot of times we think, well, Christians say uh, Jesus is the only way, which is hopefully true, um, but we, we say that because Jesus said that, right? So, so if, someone, if someone doesn't like that or doesn't understand that or disagrees with that or gets upset about that, um, the issue is really not with us, it's with him. So I think it's worthy of saying, um, let's dig deeper into the source and understand the source and who said that and why he would say that, right? Like, I know you said that, but why did you say that? I know you did that, but why did you do that? I think that's loving and fair. Um, number two, here's the second encouragement. Consider the source. So, so I, I understand that some people would feel it arrogant to say there's only one way, but arrogance, like the definition of arrogance is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, right? So if, if this is accurate, if this is an accurate representation of how we can get back to God, then it's not the height of arrogance, it's actually the height of love to extend this truth and gift to all people, which leads us to kind of a second thought along these lines. Would it not be just as arrogant and just as narrow and exclusive to say that our way of thinking there are hundreds of ways is right, but one way is not right. Now, now, uh, kind of uh, a pastoral sidebar here. Like pastors or shepherds, we're supposed to be caring, we're supposed to be loving. So, so let me just say this. If, if we ever say this with arrogant in our hearts, man, I would rather just God make us mute. You know what I'm saying? Like, just take, take us out because, like, if we ever talk about Jesus and the truths of Jesus in an arrogant way, it would be better if, if we would just, like, stay at home and, and not say anything to anyone, right? Because there's, there's no arrogance here. I mean, we, what do we have that we have not received? This is all a gift. This is all his grace. And then the third encouragement is consider the source. Like, as we, don't you like that? Like, consider the source, it's from him. Consider the source, this is not arrogant but loving. Consider the source. You have to take this statement in light of everything this man ever did. Not just his words, but his works. So if this man is causing the lame to walk and the blind to see, and he's being raised to life by his own power, Maybe, maybe he's credible. Maybe he's worth paying attention to. Maybe he's worth giving the space to, if I can just be blunt, maybe, maybe we should let him be God. Maybe we should let him say what he wants to say because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. He wants to be the way for all people, which is why we share this message with all people and humility, and love. Trust, trust Jesus because he is our way out of a troubled destination. And then finally, briefly, trust Jesus because he reveals the glory of the Father. So these, these last verses, Jesus is going to say, look, uh, if, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also, verse 7. And Philip says in verse 8, well, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus turns around and says, like, Philip, you've been with me for so long. How do you not know that the Father is in me and I am in the Father? That everything that I'm doing, I'm doing because I am one with the Father. I am unified with the Father. So I am actually revealing who God is 
in everything that I say and do. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, Hebrews 1.3. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. So Jesus can be trusted because Jesus is God and the revelation of God. But, but the, the final few verses just kind of really mess with my mind because look at, look at verse 12. It says, truly, truly, Jesus is saying uh, to, to them and consequently to us, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will Did you, did you catch that? Jesus says to his disciples, if, if, you, if you are in with me, and you are in me, and I am in you, and consequently, and the Father is in you, and, and my spirit is in you, then you are going to have the power to do even greater works. So like, how, how is that? Like, Savior of the world, Redeemer of the world, uh, risen from the dead on your own power. Like, how could you say, I could do greater works? And I believe primarily this has to do with the timing of being beyond the cross and everything that we're doing now is pointing back to his finished work that was not yet accomplished at that point. But then also, we can look at it from a quantitative standpoint that, that these disciples took the mission of Jesus and they expanded it all over the globe through him and the power that he gave them. So we display the glory of God through our works, and we display the glory of God as we pray in Jesus' name, because that's the connection, right? Like, as we ask for these things in his name, we are in alignment with what he wants, and we are saying, this is for your sake. It's not because, again, once again, it's not because the cross humbles us. It's not because we're special. It's not because we're powerful. It's not because we're able. It's just that we have a powerful God who is working his divine enablement through us. So let me ask you, as we close, what, what troubles you? Like if Jesus can be distrusted because he is victorious over all things and he is our way back to God and he is the exact revelation of who God is, then, then let, me just, let me just pose. There is not a trouble that you are experiencing that God cannot bring you through. And so what I'd love to invite you to do, because this is how God uh, works his grace, is, is I just want you to consider to take this connect card, and on the back, it has a spot for prayer requests. And you, not everyone has to do this. It's, it's perfectly fine if you just want to keep this to yourself or share with, with a friend, maybe sometime this week. But if you would like to share, like, this is troubling me. This has me anxious and concerned. If you would, if you would write just a simple, a couple short description, you can be as vague or specific as you want. But I can promise you that our leadership will take these prayer requests and we'll pray for you this week. Whether your name's on it or not, we will pray for you. But, but then also, I just want to say, because of how strong this, this text is on Jesus being our way back to God, perhaps, perhaps as, as you've been hearing these words from John 14, you're saying, 
I need that. I want that. And I want to commit my life to experiencing all that God has for me now and forever through Jesus. And so if, if that's you, I want to encourage you to let us know that. Say, I'm in. I'm all in with Jesus. I commit my life to following him today. If that's you, we want to know that so we can celebrate with you so that we can help you in this new journey that many of us have begun. So whatever, whatever way that you are led to respond, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to do that, and then you can drop that in the basket as it's passed around in a few minutes. Father, thank you so much for how Jesus is the way. He is the way for everything in our lives that we have experienced, that we've yet to experience. God, thank you that you are that huge and that you are that amazing in your love toward us. So God, I pray for freedom today. God, I pray that you would take the anxieties of our heart and that you would lead us to work through those that we might experience the, the, the freedom that you desire to give us through Jesus our way. And Father, I pray for, for those maybe that are, are, are new to Christianity and, and are wrestling with, is Jesus really God? Did he really rise from the dead? Can I really trust him? Can I really follow him? God, I pray that you would draw their hearts to look to him to see how amazing he is and to take that step of faith to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, leave, leave my way behind and I'm going to follow the way, Jesus Christ. So God, would you be gracious to move our hearts to respond to you as we sing, as we continue in worship, and as we leave this place this week, God. We want to know you more and experience more of you as we will for all eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the way. Amen.